We are celebrating our third Sunday of Advent today. And in that video that you just saw, uh, you saw four words towards the end, hope, peace, joy, and love. And those are traditionally the four themes of Advent. And uh, so today's Advent candle represents love. Uh, I'm sorry, represents joy. And, uh, and so I'm going to be sharing a passage of scripture that specifically mentions joy. And of course, joy is one of the major themes of Christmas every year. And, uh, and I've titled today's message, Love Shines. Of course, uh, I've titled this series, What Love Does. And each week I've been talking about specific ways that God communicates love. The first week I talked about uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And I said, love withs. Do you remember that? And uh, last week as we talked about peace, we talked about how God brings peace and what love does. Do you remember what it was? Love takes the hit. Anybody take the hit for somebody else last, this last week? All right, I'm glad I'm getting through to y'all. And uh, today, I'm <laughs> today I'm gonna talk about love shines. I was thinking about uh, shiny things this week. And of course, uh, you know, uh, every Christmas, you go places and there's so much shiny stuff everywhere. It's like Santa Claus threw up in the mall, right? And it's like, it's the one time of year when you can just be as tacky as you want to be because, you know, the shinier, the better, the more decorations, the better. Any other time of year, it would just be considered really tacky, right? But at Christmas time, we throw up all this shiny stuff and we say, oh, that's so beautiful. But, uh, you know, about the 1st of January, we're all like, oh, that's so tacky and cluttery and get rid of it. That, that's what my wife always says. And, and, and let me just be honest with you. I love shiny things. I just really do love shiny things. And, and I was asking myself this week, where did my lo love of shiny stuff come from? And I have to tell you, I think I blame it to some degree on my grandmother. My, my grandmother was a lover of decorating things and, and, and Christmas especially, shiny stuff came out and she had a village and a nativity scene and she would put shiny garland on all the pictures in her house and, and Christmas was always so special at my grandmother's house. Uh, that's me in the middle back there with the rabbit ears from my dad, he's so creative. And, uh, and my grandmother is sitting there on your left uh, in, in the suit. And this is exactly how I remember my grandmother. She went to be with Jesus uh, five or six years ago. And, uh, and when, she was, when she was in the process of dying, she had gotten so thin. I found a picture of her just shortly before she went to be with the Lord and I hardly recognized her. This is how I remember my grandmother. In fact, uh, Ida, I think I have a close-up picture you can, you can go ahead and put up there. Uh, she always had her hair done perfectly, and uh, I remember very few times that I ever saw my grandmother in pants. She was always in a suit. She would wear a skirt and a jacket and a blouse, and she always wore rhinestone jewelry. Anybody else have a grandmother like this? She had the big clumpy earrings, right, and a necklace, and then without fail, Always the big brooch on her suit jacket. Always, always, always. 
And, uh, and that's one that is probably not as shiny as many of them that she had. But I can remember uh, when we would go to visit my grandmother, my sister and I would love to sneak into grandma's room. That was off limits. But we, we would love to sneak in and look at her collection of jewelry because she had these big things, these stacks of towers of jewelry on her dresser. And we would just look at them because they were so shiny and there were so many of them. And uh, in her later years, I asked my grandma where she got all of her pins because it was like every outfit had its own pin. She didn't have one or two. She had dozens of them. And she told me that uh, this was one of the things that my grandfather had done for her. Whenever they went on a trip, he would find a department store and he would go shopping and he would pick out a new rhinestone brooch for her. And so over the 50 plus years of their marriage, she had quite a collection. And uh, that's something that I have picked up from my grandfather and I love to, to buy my wife pins. And so if you see her wearing the big, gaudy, shiny rhinestone pins, uh, in all likelihood, I bought that for her. Uh, <laughs> And that's just in memory of my grandparents. It was kind of a tradition. But that, that was just something I remember very fondly about my grandmother. But you know what I remember even more fondly about my grandmother? She knew how to love. She knew how to love. I always felt deeply loved by my grandmother. And, uh, and specifically, her love language, if you know what that means, her love language was to give gifts. When my sister and I were little, my grandma always had a dollar bill in her pocket. And when we would come in the door, she would give us a dollar bill. She was always generous. In fact, I've said for years, my grandmother was probably the most generous person I've ever known. And nobody in her life was untouched by her generosity. And in fact, in my family, I would have to say that most of us have Learn to express love by giving gifts. Last Christmas, I had this brilliant idea because uh, as my parents and as my family ages, it's more and more difficult to buy gifts. So last Christmas, I said, tell you what, let's all give the money that we would spend on one another in gifts. Let's just give it to needy families. Let's just give it to somebody who really needs it. And I thought this was such an altruistic and virtuous idea that I had. It was the dreariest Christmas we've ever had. Because in my family, we express love by giving gifts. And so uh, this year, I remember just a couple of months ago, my mom called me up and she said, Russ, can we give presents this Christmas? <laughs> because it's important in my family that we express love in this way. You know what I'm saying? And, and I wanna ask you a question this morning. Because you're different than me. Everyone is different. My wife's love language, the way she expresses and feels love is different than mine. She loves quality time. If I will just put away everything and just spend time with her, she feels so loved. If I do the dishes and clean up the kitchen, she feels loved. That's a love language. And what about you? You're probably different. You probably have specific ways that you feel loved and you have specific ways that you naturally express love. It's something that it's important for us to think about because if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much you feel love for someone 
unless that person knows that you love them. Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how much you feel love for someone unless that person knows how much you love them. In other words, love needs to be expressed. It's got to be said. It's got to be demonstrated. It's got to be shown. And so I want to take you to a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 2 that talks about how God announced his love to the world when Jesus was being born. You know the scripture from John 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That was how he did it. But it wasn't just a matter of him sending Jesus. There was a whole, uh, a whole series of events that surrounded the coming of Jesus. And it's important that we understand the significance of all of those details. Now, I came across kind of a funny thing this week uh, I, I don't know how many of you watched Jimmy Kimmel, uh, uh, late night TV, uh, but he, he did a bit this week where he went out into the streets and asked children to tell their version of the Christmas story. And I was kind of surprised how many kids uh, did pretty well and, and some of the details got a little fuzzy. And just before we jump into Matthew chapter two, I wanted to share this with you. So take a look at this video. The story of Christmas was um, about baby Jesus being born. God didn't like the way we were being down on earth, so he says, I'm going to send my son to go take care of that. Bam. Angel comes. Hey, God's son's coming down. You're not, he's going to be born on you. I think it happened, like, in the 1950s. They rode on a donkey um, to Bethlehem. It was like this shooting star in the sky. It was really beautiful. He was born in a mansion um, in Bethlehem because they, they didn't know where to have the baby, so they asked these people to go in their mansion. They put him into the little animal feeding thing. They had, like sheep, horses, and cows. They eat whatever they yeah, want. Yeah, they eat whatever, but and they, they can't eat, have fizzy drinks. Do. Or they do too much mischief. Pop. Out comes Jesus. It snows when it Christmas. The king sent three people to see Jesus and give them gifts. Well, I don't really know the presents. My brother does. No, no. I don't, he should. I don't. Gold, silver, mirth. Mirth, gold, and... Frankfurters. I don't know. No. I think we should just carry on with the story then. Yeah. He sleeps in a big bed with his big Jesus. So little Jesus sleeps in a big bed with his big Jesus? Yeah. The king who didn't like Jesus, he sent out um, wanting to find him and to kill him. That's the story of Jesus. The end. Isn't that great? All right, they got a few details wrong. So if you've got a Bible to follow along in, join me in reading Matthew chapter 2, starting right at the beginning. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem 
in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, I want to pause right there because uh, this little detail that I think most of those kids probably knew nothing about is very, very important to this story. Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod. Now, Herod was called Herod the Great. You've probably heard him referred to as Herod the Great, but he wasn't called Herod the Great because he was a great man or because he was virtuous or some sort of great person, but he was a great builder. He built some of the most important architectural marvels of the time of Jesus. In fact, he was responsible for building the temple that became known as Herod's temple. In fact, in Jerusalem today, if you were to go to the Wailing Wall, that is some of the final remains of the structure that Herod the Great built. But some people believe that he shouldn't be called great because he was actually a despotic ruler who also murdered scores and scores, perhaps even hundreds or thousands of people. He was an evil, evil man. But he had a specific title And it's important for us to understand who Herod was to understand what's happening in the story of the birth of Jesus. Herod's title was Herod, King of the Jews. Did you know that? His title was Herod, King of the Jews. He was appointed by Rome to govern the Jewish nation. And so he lived in that region and he associated with the Jews and he was essentially the governor or the king of that region. But he was a Roman citizen. He was a Roman subject himself, but he was ruthless and he was power hungry. He was willing to do whatever it took to consolidate his power and make sure that nobody ever opposed him. He would murder anybody that seemed to threaten him, including his, only family, his own family members. Uh, history tells us that he murdered a bunch of his sons. He even murdered some of his wives who became too ambitious. In fact, he had multiple wives, and there was only one that he claimed to have truly loved, but he became threatened by her, so he even murdered her. And he was threatened by any ambition that came against him. But here's what's interesting. Herod the Great, or Herod, king of the Jews, posed as a Jew. Because he was the governor of this region and because uh, the population was almost completely Jewish and, and very observant, very religious, very pious, he observed all of the Jewish rituals and all of the Jewish laws. He didn't eat anything that wasn't kosher. He was very careful to guard his reputation among Jewish people, but he was just a poser. In fact, one historian said it would be better to have been one of Herod's pigs than to be his son. Because he wouldn't eat the pig, but he murdered his sons. This is who Herod was. And so Jesus was born under the rule of this man. Let's keep reading. It says, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, Herod was the king of the Jews. And here's these guys that have been watching signs in the heavens, and they have interpreted these signs to mean 
a new king of the Jews has been born, and they're poking around Jerusalem trying to find out where he is and who he is. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said this, he's to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And then they quoted a prophecy from the Old Testament book of Micah that says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then it says Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Always posing, always faking. And we know from the rest of the story that this wasn't his intention or his motivation at all, but this is what he said, trying to impress these these wise magi. Verse nine says, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. I've been reading uh, in my personal devotions in the book of Deuteronomy, and it talks about how when the people of Israel would see the pillar of fire rise uh, or, or the, the cloud would rise, it was time for them to move the camp and God's physical presence would, would guide them to the next place they would camp in the wilderness. It reminds me of this. And it, it says, uh, when they saw the star, verse 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I want you to remember that verse. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure set chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankfurters, and myrrh. <laughs> I, uh, sorry, frankincense. <laughs> then verse 12 is an important one. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, when I read this story and I think about everything that's going on, it, it raises some questions in my mind, and maybe it does for you too. Uh, question number one, why did God reveal himself to foreigners? If you ever read the Old Testament, if you study uh, the history of Israel, it would appear at first blush that God had picked Israel, the Jewish nation, to be his favorites. And they were the ones that he loved. He didn't really love anybody else. In fact, he was kind of mean and cruel to everybody else. If you just kind of read it without really reading very deeply. It, it just seems strange at this point in history that all of a sudden... He's telling about the birth of his son to foreigners, people that, that read the stars. We would call them uh, astrologists, right? 
Why would God reveal his son to them? Why would God send a star to guide them? Matthew is very specific. This wasn't like a comet. I've read all kinds of theories this week about what the star was, all right? And some people think maybe it was a comet or maybe it was a confluence of different planets that shone very bright. That's not what Matthew seems to be saying. He says this was some heavenly body that was moving and guiding the wise men to Jesus. It was miraculous, right? This wasn't some sort of natural phenomenon that a legend developed around. If Matthew's telling us the truth, this was miraculous. Why would God do that? And why did Matthew even include this story in his gospel? We don't read this story in Luke or Mark or the gospel of John. It's only here in Matthew. Why? Why? Well, I've just got a very simple answer. It might not be the best answer. But it's just a simple answer, and it's this. Love shines. Love shines. I think that God was so excited about his son coming to earth to express his love for all of mankind and to ultimately die a sacrificial death so that we could be forgiven of our sins. I think God was so excited that he just had to put out shiny things. He had to make Santa throw up all over the place. I'm being goofy, but you know what I'm saying? God had to announce it because this was the biggest thing that would ever happen in human history, the birth of the son of God. And he had to make it shine. Love shines. Listen, real love expresses itself. Real love reveals itself. It demonstrates itself. It shines. And when love shines, there's joy. And did you catch what it said about the wise men that when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Listen, we're no different. When something significant happens and we're excited about it, we announce it. We proclaim it. Uh, We got a baby announcement a year ago uh, from Colton Susie Fredrickson, little baby Aria. She came up to tell me good morning this this morning. And and, uh, I love this little baby, but we got this announcement shortly after she was born. And this has been on our refrigerator ever since we got it. Because we were excited with their parents. They, they couldn't wait to let everybody know that baby Aria Noel had been born. And so they announced it. It's no different from what God was doing. I thought this was really beautiful. It was created by Shutterfly. In case any of you need to know how you do this sort of thing. Shutterfly, Costco does those kinds of things, right? But God wasn't using Shutterfly. He wasn't using Costco. None of that kind of stuff. He announced the birth of Jesus through angels and singing through dreams and visions with a star and the giving of extravagant gifts. God couldn't help but let his love shine. But Herod, on the other hand, He couldn't but help let the love of himself and his own selfishness shine for all history to remember. I want to turn a corner for just a moment. I want you to 
think about the love of God shining, but now I want us to look at the behavior of Herod. If you want to continue reading with me in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says this, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, I I was preparing this message before I knew about all of the stuff that happened in Connecticut this week. But this story resonates, I think, with us in light of the events uh, of this past week. Verse 14 says, that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. And it fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. But Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Isn't it profound that at the same time that Jesus, God's son, was born in this world, there was an act of heinous murder targeted at Jesus himself. It's impossible to know exactly how many children were were killed. The estimates go from dozens to, to many thousands of babies that were born, two years old and under. Can you imagine the horror as a soldier would burst into your home and take your 18-month-old little boy. Historians believe that quite possibly they would murder the children right in front of their parents and just leave them for dead in their homes. Unimaginable horror. And this is what I believe is true. Selfishness and ambition always end in human suffering and sorrow. It always works that way. When we give ourselves over to selfishness and a desire and an obsession with power, the only logical end that ever comes to place is suffering and sorrow. So I want to turn our thoughts this morning to ourselves. We've talked about how God announced the birth of his son, announced his love, communicated his love in so many ways, but the star being one of the greatest ones, love shines. And we've looked at Herod, whose selfishness was expressed to the most extreme degree. And I want to talk about what your selfishness can do. And I want to talk about what your love can do. Here's what your selfishness can do. There's six things. If you give yourself over to selfishness, selfish motivation, selfish behavior, number one, like Herod, you'll be a poser. You'll be a poser. If you're selfish and you know that you're not living a life 
of, of service and self-sacrificial love, you're going to find yourself acting out in things that really are not genuine, that aren't real. You're just going to be a faker and a poser. Secondly, like Herod, you will lie to cover up your true motives. You'll find that you lie to cover up the previous lie. You'll find that you lie to cover up the sin that was really based in selfishness in the first place. Lying will become a habit of your life if you have just given yourselves over to serve your own selfish interests or your own ambition. Thirdly, you'll constantly worry about what people think. You're going to be shining up your image all the time. You're going to get really angry if somebody says something about you that casts you in a bad light. You're going to be worrying about this constantly. Fourthly, like Herod, you will ruthlessly crush anyone who opposes you. You're going to wipe out the competition. Relationships don't matter. Family doesn't matter. I've just got to wipe out whoever is opposing me. Whoever is arguing with me, whoever disagrees with me, they've got to go. Fifthly, this is one of the most tragic ones. Like Herod, you'll hurt the people that you love the most. Friends, when we serve ourselves, nothing but suffering comes of it. And it's often the people that you say you care about the most that suffer the most. And then lastly, this is a guarantee. Your life will be joyless. And so will the lives of everyone around you. You may think that money and power and influence and all these things that seem so attractive, so shiny in the world, you may think that all of those things will make you happy, but in the end, your life will be joyless if you just give yourself over to selfishness. That's what your selfishness will do. Here's what your love can do. Number one, true love, like the star that God sent to announce the birth of Jesus, true love will appear out of nowhere. True love will appear out of nowhere. Love shines, all right? If you love somebody, you're just naturally going to start finding ways to express it out of nowhere, right? And, and this is one of the things that I love is when, when my wife just surprises me out of nowhere with something that just blesses me. This last week, my in-laws uh, knew that last week was my birthday and they also knew that I was sick. And on Wednesday, out of nowhere, they sent flowers. I wasn't expecting it. I just got a phone call from, uh, from the posy patch that said, um, Russ, we have a delivery. Are you home? And I said, no, but I'll be there in 10 minutes. And here's flowers from my in-laws just saying, I love you. It appears out of nowhere. Uh, one of the things I love to do is to just buy my wife a, a little gift or a little card or something. I like to stick it under her pillow. So when she goes to sleep, she sticks her arm under there and there's something there and it surprises her. It just comes out of nowhere. Um, I love it when Chris does something like, uh, I had a meeting this week and I came home and she'd ironed every shirt in my closet. I think she probably spent two, two and a half hours just ironing. I didn't ask her to do that. She doesn't do this all the time, but I came home every shirt, this one that I'm wearing today was lovingly ironed by my wife. <laughs> love just appears out of nowhere and it communicates in some tangible way 
that it loves. Secondly, true love shines in that it will extend beyond your borders. God wasn't, God wasn't content to just love Jewish people. His plan from the beginning, the Bible says, from the very beginning, was that every person on the planet would experience his love. And when he got ready to send Jesus, he couldn't help but just send the choirs of angels, send the star, put the signs in the heavens, whatever he did, he just needed everybody to know that he loves them. In the same way with you, when you really become a lover of people, it will extend beyond your family. It'll extend beyond your spouse. It'll start extending to people that you previously didn't think were lovable. One of my favorite stories about my wife was about one of her coworkers in Great Falls in the department that she was working in. They had conflict. They butted heads. Chris would come home and she would say, that Donna is the nastiest woman I ever knew. And one day Donna got sick and ended up in the hospital. She thought she was going to die. And Chris went and she asked Donna if she could pray with her. And you know what? It wasn't somebody that Chris had chemistry with. It wasn't somebody that she was attracted to to be a friend. But she just went to express the love of Jesus. You know what ended up happening? Donna gave her life to Jesus and today is walking with Jesus and leading her family to know Jesus. And, and she thinks the sun rises and sets on Chris. True love extends beyond whatever the borders are you think you have. Who is that person that you think is unlovable? When you become someone who shines love, you're going to find that you can be effective in loving somebody that you didn't even think was lovable. And then finally, and this is probably the most important thing I want you to hear today. Love will communicate tangibly. Love will communicate tangibly. There's a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. If you've never read it, it's such an important book to read and understand. It talks about the fact that all of us have some natural way of expressing and receiving love. And sometimes, especially in marriages, you get hooked up with somebody that expresses love differently than you do. And, and you need to learn to express love in a way that your spouse understands and gets. It's true for your kids, it's true for your parents, it's true for your coworkers. If you're really going to love, you've got to learn how to express love in a tangible way. Around here, this probably won't come as a shock to anybody, but around here at Connect Church, we express love by hugging. And we express love by donuts also, but uh, <laughs> donuts are love. My mother says butter is love, I think that's true too. Uh, but we express love through hugging. And I know sometimes uh, some of you feel like, like Chris and I or some of our other connectors around here, we just get in everybody's space, right? Because we have a little bubble, right? Anybody hate, hate it when we get in your space? Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, Forrest. <laughs> but you know what? We believe that love ought to be expressed tangibly. Uh, Chris and I came across a across a, a statistic years ago that said people need, I don't remember exactly what it was, something like 12 significant touches a day to stay healthy. And we've observed over the years that sometimes when people come to church, it's the only time they're touched in a week. And that's one of the reasons why we hug and we grab your hand and we, we touch you on the shoulder and we touch your arm because we believe that love needs to be expressed 
tangibly. Some of you hate being touched. Go ahead and touch your neighbor. That's a good thing. And this is what I want to say to you. Stop withholding love from people that you care about. Some of you dads are way too macho. Okay? Some of you moms are too afraid that your parent, that your, that your children won't respect you if you're too affectionate. Listen, love has got to shine. Love has got to be expressed tangibly. So get it out. Say it. Hug it out. Spend time with somebody. Give something to somebody. Serve somebody. Do whatever it takes to express love to people. And don't keep it inside, but start shining it up for everyone in your life to see that you are a lover. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a lover. Yeah. And then here's just a simple piece of advice. Let me give you a simple piece of advice. If you're in a relationship with somebody, whether it's a spouse or a girlfriend, boyfriend, children, parents, if you're struggling some, talk to that person and ask them this question. What can I do to help you feel loved? That's a question that I think sometimes is awkward for us to ask. And sometimes we don't like the answers. But it's a good question to ask. What can I do to help you feel loved? And you know what will come of this? If you'll start shining love instead of holding it in, do you know what happens? There's joy. When the wise men saw the star, they were filled with joy. And let me tell you, if you will shine up your love in the people around you, you will bring so much joy to people because selfishness and ambition just leads to human suffering and tragedy. So let's shine it up. Shine it up. Love shines. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Bow your heads, would you? Father God, I'm so thankful that you love shiny things too. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that in the darkness of the world that Jesus came to, you sent light. You sent music. You sent people with presence. And you weren't content to just let a baby be born in a manger who would someday grow up and become a great teacher and a rabbi that would, that would turn the world upside down. It wasn't enough just to wait for all of that to come to pass, you threw a big party in the sky. You just lit everything up with expressions of your love. And Lord, we are blessed because that was what you did. Although many of us don't even know it, this is why we put up Christmas lights at Christmas. This is why we We put a star at the top of the tree. This is why, Lord, we just decorate with tinsel and and shiny things and we make the, the world a festive place because you did it first. And it's just part of your love. But Lord, it's not enough for us to decorate. We also need to learn to express your love, express our love to the people we care about. So Lord, help us to shine it up and to make this Christmas a time where we really, really express love to one another. 
And we want to do it, Jesus, because we just want to honor you and who you are and the way you've changed us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Musicians are going to lead us in a great song. Thank you.